Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, and we need this Sunday now more than ever because Pentecost is all about being filled up with an unmovable, unshakable power of the Holy Spirit, unlike anything else. I know that I need, and perhaps you need, to be filled up in this season because this season, this unprecedented season, has left us drained. Many people have been pouring out themselves in service. Of course, we have frontline responders, doctors, nurses, so many people, not only in our city and our nation around the globe, that have poured themselves out. Our hearts and our prayers go out to you with tremendous gratitude. Likely, you are drained. But for many others, we're drained because of the news. We're drained because of all the social distancing we've had to do. Maybe some of you are drained from all the work that you've had to do at home. Maybe some of you are drained because you don't have any work to do. Maybe you're drained because of the homeschooling or drained because of the uncertainty of the new normal. You and I, we need to be filled up and that's what Pentecost is all about. And yet many of us have gotten into the habit of being filled up by other things, other things that we're gonna talk about today and kind of like a, a car that goes to the gas station that needs to continually be filled up again and again and again. There are certain things that maybe we choose in our lives to fill us up, but they don't sustain us in the long run. You know how you go to the gas station and outside of diesel, you've got those three options, you know, 87, 89, and 91 octane. Well, in the same way that we've got our choices there at the gas pump, Many of us have choices emotionally that we make on a regular basis to fill us up. And if I could just offer three of them, maybe some of you will resonate with this. Uh, these three options actually refer to how we either look at our past or our present or our future to fill us up. So imagine you're kind of at this emotional, psychological filling station, and one of the choices doesn't say 87, uh, but it says, at least. And maybe some of you, you're in a habit of pressing that at least button to fill yourselves back up. And what I mean by that is that perhaps constantly you are filled up because you have a perspective, and maybe even say to yourself and even some of your friends or family, well, at least I haven't lost my job. At least the market's still strong. At least I don't have any family members or friends who have gotten sick. The problem is, is that, you know, eventually over time, that which you have at least looked out upon that doesn't relate to you, eventually you will experience that thing. Maybe some of you are drained because you are used to pressing the at least button and you find yourself out of options and you're drained. Well, today, Pentecost is for you. Okay, some of you, a different button you press. Uh, it's called the in control button. It has to do with the present. And what you need to be filled up is to be in control. You've got to be in control with your home, with your work, with your kids, with your family. And this season, I imagine, uh, unlike any other season, you feel out of control and likely you're drained. Pentecost is for you. Now, some of you uh, hit a different button altogether, and this has to do with the future, and I'll refer to it as the if only button. 
And you're constantly hitting this button. Maybe you say it to yourself, you say it to others, and you're saying, okay, if, if only we could just get back out in public. If only we could have the kids go back to school and out of the house. If only we could just get back to our church buildings and your hope is in the future. And the problem is in this season, those, those deadlines seem to get pushed further and further out into the future and likely you are drained as well. Pentecost is for you. But unlike a gas station that's got diesel on those three buttons, uh, we emotionally, psychologically fill ourselves up in such a myriad of ways that perhaps there's another way that you've chosen to fill yourself up. And perhaps in this season, you are left drained. The fact that you are here in this moment joining us in worship is an invitation, not for me, but from the God who sustains all things, it's an invitation that you would catch with your heart and your mind, your very being, that there is a free gift offered to you, something to fill you up unlike anything else. So why don't we go to this passage in scripture that we have on this Pentecost Sunday in the midst of what I refer to as the great disruption of 2020. And it talks about an incident about 2000 years ago in the early church, this is after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, we read this very famous passage of Scripture. Many of you perhaps have heard this before. If you haven't, I'll, I'll unpack it and explain it for us. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the gospel writer, the physician Luke, gives us this eyewitness account. And through the power of the Holy Spirit... He writes this, not just for the first century church, but for us today, in our homes, in need of being filled up in ways unlike anything else. So in Acts 2, verse 1, he writes, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were some devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? For we are Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and even visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them all speaking about God's deeds of power. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we often say, thanks be to God. Now take a look. In verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come. You see, Pentecost was already a day on the calendar. Many people think that this was 
the first and only Pentecost. Many people have asked, what is Pentecost? They'll say, oh yeah, it was that, that time, I think in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit filled a house and they, they spoke different languages. In actual fact, this was already an annual festival on the calendar that God's people had been celebrating for, for over 1,200 years. And in order for us to understand this Pentecost in the book of Acts, and in order to understand what that means for us today, on this Pentecost of 2020, we must go back to the first Pentecost. It's actually described in the book of Exodus. And so during this time together, I'm going to spend about 80% of my time on the first Pentecost to give us context to help us understand this Pentecost in the book of Acts to see how actually on this day, we can step into something that is utterly transformative. And as we look at that first Pentecost, the Pentecost in the book of Acts and this Pentecost, we're gonna take a look at three things. Many of you take notes on your phone, a piece of paper, a journal. And as we go through these three Pentecosts that I'm gonna talk about, first in Exodus and then in Acts and then today, there's three things that we're gonna take a look at kind of as a, a thread that will weave through the tapestry of those three over history. We're gonna take a look at a meeting and a miracle and a messenger from the first Pentecost to this Pentecost in Acts to this Pentecost today. So if you would, would you go back to the book of Exodus, that second book of the Bible, and I'm gonna give you a little context in Exodus 19 is where we're gonna go. It's gonna be verses one through six, but let me, let me set the stage for you. Some of you are very familiar with the story. Some of you perhaps not. You see in the book of Genesis, we get this picture of God creating all things. And in Genesis 12, God chooses Abram and his wife, Sarah. And he says, I will make you not just a people, but a nation. And through you and your descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And there's this narrative throughout Genesis that ultimately ends with the beginning of Exodus, where the nation of Israel, God's people, have now been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And some devastating things happened to the nation of Israel. And in the beginning of the book of Acts, we get this picture of the nation of Israel getting larger and larger and a new Pharaoh raises to power. And uh, out of fear, he tries to stamp out the, the Jewish people. And one of the things that he does is he puts a decree that uh, the firstborn son, all the infants would be killed. Now remember that for later. Because as God hears the cries of the nation of Israel, God shows up. And because God is faithful to God's promises, chooses a man named Moses. Many of you are familiar with the life of Moses. And he chooses this man at the age of 80 years old to go to Pharaoh to say, let my people go to bring them out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, ultimately to carry them to the promised land where they could worship Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. And if you know the story, there's a number of plagues that happen. And the final of the 10 plagues is actually an event that many of my Jewish friends, maybe your Jewish friends celebrate today, referred to as Passover. On that night, the justice of God 
and the grace of God came together. Now, all this is important. Understand that first Pentecost, understand this Pentecost to be transformed today. So hang with me here. On that fateful night, God's justice against the wrongdoing of Pharaoh that killed all the firstborn sons, he said, and this was the last plague, that the angel of death would pass over the land and all of the firstborn in Egypt would be killed. Justice. And yet there was grace because God said to Moses and to the entirety of the nation of Israel, but you, because you are my people, I want you to sacrifice a lamb. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to spread it on the doorposts. And so when the angel of death comes throughout the land, administering justice, the angel of death will pass over your household because you are covered under the blood of the lamb and you will experience grace. And so the nation of Israel does it. They survive under the blood of the lamb. They then flee Egypt they are on the way to the promised land. And as they are on the way to the promised land, they find themselves at the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And 50 days after they've already been set free from Egypt, a series of events happens that ultimately becomes referred to as Pentecost. You can hear penta that that word five or 50. In fact, the celebration of our Jewish friends still today of Pentecost is this annual day on the calendar that refers to not just an agricultural festival of weeks, of first grains, but also of these very significant events that happen on Mount Sinai. Now, let me just pause for a moment and let you know that if you were to look at a map and if you were to look at uh, Egypt and specifically where they were enslaved in Goshen, and if you were to look where the promised land was, Mount Sinai, somewhere on the Sinai Peninsula, was actually out of the way. So you need to know that on the way to the promised land, it is as if God has left them and led them physically away from where God promises. And the nation of Israel in that moment, physically, they were further away from the promised land than they were even in Egypt. And they were grumbling. They were saying, we had it so much better in Egypt. And you need to know that often God does God's best work in the wilderness. That sometimes God allows us to move to a place that seems physically further away from where we believe God is taking us. And in those moments, there is a spiritual transformation. There is a peace that can happen in the wilderness unlike anything else. And I have to pause, and before I get deeper into this, some of you, you're in that wilderness season right now. For whatever reason, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but you seem to be, in your mind, further away from what you believe would be God's best for your life. And likely, hope has eroded. Perhaps your faith has eroded. Perhaps there's moments where understandably you've turned your back on God, you're not reading God's word, you haven't spent time in prayer, perhaps this is the first service you've been to, maybe even in decades. Well, wherever you are, I want you to know that the first Pentecost reminds us that God sees you. 
And God longs to meet with you. And God longs to do a miracle in your life. So listen to this with that context, with the liberation, with the Passover, 50 days in the wilderness. Now they're at the base of Mount Sinai. This is what Exodus 19 says. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Many scholars believe this was about three million people, men, women, and children. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and how I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. But you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. And over the next few chapters, a number of things begin to unfold. That is the first Pentecost. Remember how I was saying that we're going to take a look at three threads? Well, let's take a look at that meeting Again, look at this. In verse 3, it says that Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. There was a meeting, not between three million people and God, between one man and one God. This human met with the divine. The unapproachable God actually approached Moses. And as we read in the chapters ahead, maybe you want to go later on today and read the narrative. It's, it's remarkable. It is terrifying. Fire comes down out of the sky. There is the rushing of a violent wind. There's booming voices. There are trumpets. There is thunder. It is a remarkable scene. The mountain is filled with smoke. And it actually leaves this meeting with a very clear picture that God is holy and untouchable and humanity is sinful and broken. And yet somehow, for some reason, a meeting occurs. But it required Moses to go up onto the mountain to have that meeting. And in the chapters ahead, you'll see that it actually leaves Moses in many ways terrified. It leaves the nation of Israel terrified. And their fear doesn't truly transform them. In fact, in the chapters ahead, you'll actually discover the golden calf incident where even though they saw this remarkable experience from afar of Moses meeting with God and they were promising in that moment, we will do whatever the Lord says because it was fear that motivated them. Their lives and their hearts were not transformed. And they soon forgot and they soon started worshiping other gods. You know, some of us, we have a fear-based relationship when it comes to God. That is a broken perspective. And perhaps some of us, we give or we pray or we read scripture or we go to church or we watch church, perhaps out of fear of judgment. That's 
not God's heart. That'll never fill you up. It'll never transform you to be the person that God longs for you to be. So again, there was this meeting on that first Pentecost. But there was also a miracle. Well, what's the miracle? Well, first, the miracle on one hand is the fact that there was even a meeting in the first place. It was an absolute miracle that Moses didn't die in God's presence. It was actually an absolute miracle that God spoke to Moses and told them that this present moment was part of a bigger miracle, a bigger story, a bigger narrative that they had already been caught up into. Here's what God says. The Lord says, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now let's pause right there. Here's the great miracle. God is saying to Moses, I've already liberated you. I've already rescued you. I've already saved you. I, the Lord God, have brought you, Moses, and the nation of Israel to myself. You've got to understand how revolutionary that perspective is. You see, in the first century and in the ancient times and all the way back to the beginning of civilization, and even today, there are people who have this view that we have to somehow obey before we are saved. We somehow have to do the right thing, say the right thing, pray the right prayer, uh, avoid the wrong things, and then we will be redeemed, then we'll be rescued, then we'll be liberated. That's not what's happening here. And this is the regular pattern from beginning to end through all 66 books of the Bible. God initiates salvation first and foremost. And so if you have in your mind that you have to somehow do the right thing and then God will love you, then God will rescue you, all the way in the beginning of Scripture, that has never been God's heart. The great miracle is that they and you have a God that longs to rescue you first and foremost, to redeem you, to bring you, and to bring them to God's self. But the miracle continues. Listen to this. God says in verse 5, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now let's pause right there. The chapters ahead in the book of Exodus, we get the picture of God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. It's actually quite miraculous that the maker of heaven and earth would reveal God's self to Moses and the nation of Israel to say explicitly, this is how I long for you to live. That if you want to experience the fullness of what it means to be human, if you want to experience peace and satisfaction and joy, not just in your life, but in your relationships and in all of society, if you actually want to be a person that actually sows into other people in such a way that makes the world a better place, here's how I want you to live. It's actually quite a miracle that God would even say very explicitly, here's how I long for you to live. Here's my voice as a loving creator, how I long for you to make choices in your life, to relate to others. Quite a miracle for the nation of Israel that God would be that clear and that specific. 
And quite a miracle that God says, obedience comes after salvation. And he says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, this now leads to another blessing. You shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here's what God is saying. Now that I've rescued you, I want you to live as liberated people. And if you obey me, you will be blessed. And God specifically says three things. The first is a treasured possession. Now in the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, this is a remarkable statement because in the ancient world, whenever there was a monarch that would rule over land, of course, the whole land, the whole kingdom, the whole area, all of it was theirs. And yet there were certain things that were considered part of their personal wealth. Certain things that they treasured far beyond just the, the vast extent of their uh, monarchy, their kingdom, certain things that they brought into their residence, certain things that they brought into their bedchamber, certain things that they wore on their very being. And the specific word that was used for those things of a king's personal wealth is the word that's used here when God says to the nation of Israel, if you obey my voice after having already been rescued, you will be part of my treasured possession. What a miracle that the maker of heaven and earth is saying to a community of people, I love you so much that I consider you so valuable that I want to bring you as close as possible. And God goes on. He doesn't just say that. He says, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. We soon discover in the chapters later that a priest's role is to not only be a mediator between humanity and God, but a priest's role is to help usher others into the worship of God. And it was God's intent from the very beginning that all of God's people would be part of the priesthood. That all people, not just one, not just a special class, not just some who go to seminary, not just some who are ordained, but everyone who has been rescued, who is now obedient to God's desire and design for their life, would be part of a kingdom of priests. How miraculous that all people would be given that office and that function. But God goes on. He says, if you obey my voice, having already been liberated, you will be a holy nation. Now, again, in the Hebrew language, that word holy means to be distinct, to be set apart, to be different. What God is saying is that I want you to look differently than the rest of the world. I want the whole world to see what it is like to live with the true king of kings on the throne of your heart's life. And you're going to see in your own life how you can bless everyone as you become part of a holy nation that your citizenship is just here on earth, but it is a divine citizenship. It is a heavenly citizenship. You see, again, in ancient civilizations, they would, maybe you are familiar with this, they would build what was known as ziggurats, these 
human-made pyramids, structures, hills that would be the centerpiece of societies and civilizations and people groups. And they believed in the ancient world that if you ascended, if you climbed, if you got to the top of that ziggurat, you could meet with the gods. You could have a meeting with whatever god that you worshipped. And there was this belief in ancient civilizations that if you did the right thing, if you brought the right sacrifices, if you didn't make the gods angry, then you would live another year. Then your crops wouldn't wither and die. That your kids would live past their first birthday. And so in all the other ancient civilizations, there would be these things that people would go to to find peace with gods, to meet with God, to experience hopefully miracles. And here we have this very different picture that Moses climbs not to a human-made ziggurat, but a God-made mountain. And on that place in the chapters ahead, which can be described as the first Pentecost, the nation of Israel was not only reminded of how they've already been rescued, not only given the Ten Commandments, but they were given an identity and they were given a purpose to be set apart, to be part of God's redeeming work in the world. So there was a meeting, tremendous miracles, and there was a messenger. This is how it describes it in Exodus 19. These are the words, God says, that you, Moses, shall speak to the Israelites. Moses was the messenger. And he came down off of the mountain and he shared that message with the nation of Israel. He went back up again, many trips up and down, but he alone was the messenger and ultimately the mediator between God and all of the nation of Israel. So when you understand that first Pentecost, again, roughly 50 days after the Passover event, 50 days after they were rescued under the blood of the Lamb, they are reminded that they've already been rescued. Now there's this call to obedience and this promise of future blessing where they would be a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Now let's jump forward in time to go back to where we started in Acts chapter 2. It is no coincidence that this event in Acts chapter 2 happened on the day of Pentecost. So all the richness of all the meaning of all that happened way back in the book of Exodus in that first Pentecost actually defines and gives context for and illuminates what happens here on this Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It says, they were all together in one place. Much like the nation of Israel, they were all together and they were at the base of Mount Sinai. But remember in the first Pentecost, there was a meeting and it was only between one person, Moses and God. What happened on this day was very different. Luke records, it is this, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So again, in the first Pentecost, there was a meeting, but it was up on a mountain. 
In this Pentecost, in the book of Acts, it was on a different mountain. Yes, it was Mount Zion, but it wasn't just with one person and one God. It wasn't just with Moses, the leader, this set-apart leader and, and God. It was actually with all of the first followers of Jesus and God. All of them had a meeting with the divine. There was a meeting, of course, on Mount Zion, but it wasn't the top of a mountain. It wasn't even in a temple. It wasn't in a synagogue. It wasn't in a sanctuary. It was in a house. And it goes on and it says this, there was the rush of a violent wind. The same language was used for the first meeting on Mount Sinai. The hearers of this, as they read Luke's account, would automatically make the connection between the two because it goes on to say, and it says, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting in divided tongues as of fire appeared among them. Much like that first Pentecost, there wasn't just a rushing of a violent wind. There was fire that came down. And it goes on to say, Luke says, and a tongue rested on each of them. This meeting again was for every follower of Jesus, not just a leader. Luke goes on and it says, all of them we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I've been reading this passage for 20 years and I've always focused on how miraculous it was, not only what happened, but the fact they could speak in different languages and, and the fire and the wind. I focused on that, but it wasn't until this year for the first time that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, made me focus on those three words. It was as if it, and still does, it's as if it just radiates off the page. It says, all of them. Not just one, not just Moses, not just the leader, not just the messenger, not just the mediator, not just the one set apart. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This meeting is altogether different than the first, yet you can't understand this without understanding that first Pentecost on Mount Sinai. They've all had a meeting with the divine in a home. And their home is filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you look around your physical environment right now? Can you imagine what it would be like to have the Holy Spirit fill that place? Can you imagine what it would be like to be filled with the very presence of God. You see, at the first Pentecost, they saw that meeting and it left everyone, including Moses, terrified and filled with fear. And ultimately their lives in the moment, in the early season, wasn't transformed. But at this Pentecost in the book of Acts, they weren't filled with fear. They were filled with awe and wonder, tremendous identity, tremendous purpose. Their lives were forever transformed and they began to, and I love this, if you go further down, it says that all of them, all of them began speaking about the mighty deeds of God. 
Remember we took those threads of meeting and miracle and messenger? Well, in this first century event in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, they all met with God. They were all caught up in the same miracle. Look, they've already been rescued. They've already been liberated. They've already been saved. They've been called into a covenant. They've been given an identity as a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were caught up in the miracle of all these things. They survived the meeting, but they were given an identity and a purpose unlike anything else. And all of them, all of them became messengers for God. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to make sense for the first century followers of Jesus between how that first Pentecost and this Pentecost could not only happen, but how they could be so distinctly different. And the writer of Hebrews ties those threads together in such a profound way that gives us today, on this Pentecost Sunday, in the year 2020, an opportunity to be filled up unlike anything else. And so the writer of Hebrews actually connects these two events together, the first Pentecost and the Pentecost recorded in the book of Acts and writes this in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. Listen to this imagery. The writer says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg them not to hear another word spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, again, this is about Mount Sinai, the first Pentecost, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses even said, I tremble with fear. The writer of Hebrews says, here's what has happened in the first century. Why every person who puts their faith in Jesus can have a meeting with God. Why every person who has put their faith in Jesus can experience that miracle of God, of being a treasure possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Why every person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus can be a messenger for God in the world around them. The writer of Hebrews says this, it's because... You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect because you have come to Jesus, the mediator of of a new covenant and you have come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's happening here? Remember at that first Pentecost, how it happened 50 days after Passover, where the justice of God and the grace of God came together in one event where justice was extended for the wrongdoing and yet grace was given for those who were covered with the blood of the lamb. If you go even further back, the first significant 
administration of justice is actually found in the early chapters of Genesis where Cain kills his brother Abel. And God comes to Cain and says, the blood of Abel cries out to me from the ground. We see God's heart of justice there. The writer of Hebrews is tying all of this together and saying, let me tell you about what Jesus has done. 50 days before this Pentecost in the book of Acts was a Passover. And did you know that on that Passover in that year, as thousands upon thousands of people were preparing to celebrate the Passover by sacrificing a Passover lamb to then give to the priest to rehearse and to atone for their sins. Did you know that on that same day, Jesus, whom John the Baptist, when he looked at him the first time, said about Jesus, behold, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did you know that on that Passover, 50 days before this Pentecost in Acts 2, Jesus, as the true Passover lamb, was crucified. And in that profound moment, all the imagery, all the foreshadow of the Old Testament came true in Jesus. That in the same way, the first followers of Jesus could say like the early Israelites, Justice has been done on the cross. Wrongdoing has been paid for on the cross. And yet grace is also accomplished because of that event on the cross. And we, the first followers have said, we've been saved because we've been covered by the blood not just of a little furry lamb, but we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And so history is repeating itself, but coming to a culmination on this first century. And the writer of Hebrews says, you can have a meeting with God. You can experience the miracles of God. You can become a messenger of God and you don't have to climb up to a mountain. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to go to a sanctuary. You, you can have it even in a home because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And here's what that means for you and me today. You can meet with God right now. Through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb, who was sacrificed once and for all, for all of your sin, all of your brokenness, through faith and trust in Jesus, God says, I will redeem you, I will forgive you, I will liberate you, I will save you. And right now in this moment, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you don't have to be physically transported anywhere else but God will carry you to God's self. You can have a meeting with God right now.
You can be saved right now. And you can experience in your home right now a miracle. A miracle that is part of a bigger picture of God drawing you to God's self, but the miracle of receiving the Holy Spirit right now in this moment. That that physical space that you were in, and perhaps you can't even see it with your physical eyes, but you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit to not just fill up your condo, your apartment, your townhouse, your home, that you can be filled to the fullness of all that God longs for you right now, right here on this Pentecost Sunday, in the midst of having tried to fill yourself up with other things, the true power of the cosmos, the presence of God, through the Holy Spirit can fill you right now. And you can begin a journey through the power of the Holy Spirit of actually putting into practice and obeying the teachings of Jesus, which is the summation of the commands of God. And you can be sent out from your home. You don't have to physically leave, but it can be a phone call. It can be an email. It can be on social media. It can be a text. You can become a messenger for God. You can become a modern-day Moses, a modern-day Martha, a modern-day Peter, Paul, Luke, Simon, Priscilla. You can actually have a purpose in the midst of all the disruption, in the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of not having the things that perhaps you want, in the midst of feeling like you are much further away from where God wants you to go, God can do God's best work in your life right now. So come to Jesus, the author and perfecter and mediator of our faith. Be filled with the Spirit of God now and forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures point to you. And Jesus, I thank you how Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 3 says that unlike Moses who had to go up on top of a mountain to see your glory, that we through faith and trust in you, Jesus, can experience your glory right here and right now. And Jesus, I thank you that, that your spirit, unlike Moses, whose glory faded, the glory of God in our life can continue to grow and grow and grow as we are transformed more and more into the image of you, Jesus. So right now, would you give us a courage and a peace and a security? Would you give us an identity, a purpose unlike anything else? Would we meet with you? Would we experience miracles with you? And would we be messengers for you through the power of the Holy Spirit? And may we look back on the Pentecost Sunday in the great disruption of 2020 as the day in which Jesus, you did that. We pray all of this in your matchless and mighty name. Amen.